Hello God list hinnes. I am SMR 72. I would like to welcome you to Spiraken small of Mega Hackers Mega Technology and Megalomaniac Mega Corporations. In this installment, our host Zahn is as a state by a steamed guest, Sean Russell, from Anime 3000, so, enjoy, as they discuss a wonderful film about robots, flying cars and what exactly makes a human. Buongiorno Signora, ist hier Sergio Mladrunia Darmina Manu. Aber bevor ich dazu nicht mehr sagen, ich warne Sie, dass diese Episode enthält Erwachsenensprache, Copia Situation, Le Replique, Laterel Corporation, Robot Giganteschi Animali, Pistole, Battenti Auto e Unicor, Escuchas Recomienda Discrisi. What the hell did you just say? He said that this episode contains adult language, mature situations, replicants, Uterel Corporation, flying cars, big guns, and unicorns, listener discretion is advised. Review episode 72. Too bad you won't live, but then again, who does? Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Spark and Movie Review. Some podcast providing information reviews about connecting enhanced narratives. I'm your host, Zon, and I'm being joined today by someone who, well, we've talked about a long time ago, and if you listen to some of the old episodes, I actually, well, was in a couple of episodes, and who is it? It's Sean Russell from Anime3000.com. Hello. <laughs> yes, Anime3000.com, an excellent website, and, um, you want to pimp your other sites? Yeah, I mean, I it's part of a media company that I run called Lasaurus Media. So, Anime 3000 is obviously the one focused on anime and manga and other things geek. Then I have Pop Spot USA, which is my music review site. So we do interviews with like pop artists, hip-hop, and alternative rock artists. So you can catch all the videos there at Top Spot USA. And then I have a children's website that has like thousands of websites like Pop Tropica and, and Webkins and all, all of that fun stuff. And it has a, like a puppet host that's voiced by myself. So it's chesteriscool.com if you have a little brother or sister and you want to get them out of your hair. 
That's a great website to go to. I also use it for my nephew, Nicky, when he's here. He loves it. Oh, cool. I don't think he <laughs> understands it because he's only two, but he loves it. He likes watching it a lot. Um, so remember, you can check out any of our earlier episodes at www.spyrocket.com. You can email me at zanspyrocket.com. You can email Sean at srussell at anime3000.com. Okay, and so we should get into that part you are waiting for while you're here to listen to us rant and bash or praise a lovely and wonderful movie. And for those of you who don't know, this is the third installment in the month of Mega Hackers, Mega Technology, and Megalomaniac Mega Corporations. Yes, our Cyberpunk Month. Uh, if you remember the last episode, which was our Gattaca episode, we split on that. We rolled that one that only that dodecahedron of movies and it dictated on us. We were reviewing a movie that is debatable when it came out because supposedly it came out in 1982, but then it came out again in 1992, and then again. How many times has this been released? I heard there was like 11 different editions of this film. Supposedly he's doing it again. He said, "Oh, this is the final cut." No, I'm changing my mind again. Ridley Scott is a crazy person now. For those of you who don't know, Ridley Scott, he's done a bunch of movies, including Alien. He did the recent Prometheus, and he did this film, which is arguably his best work. I mean, he also did Gladiator and Legend, but this arguably his best work. is based on a story by Philip K. Dick to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, starring Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, Edward James Olmos, and Daryl Hannah. It was made in, like I said, 92, and it's Blade Runner. <laughs> it's one of those polarizing film, especially back when it was created. Now it has a lot of cult following, but you know, people will be lying to you if they said that this film, well at least in my opinion, holds up entirely to today. I think people have to be honest with themselves. Although it is a good film, I think there's a lot we can discuss in this, in this podcast. Oh, we're going to be talking about a lot of this, this very hyped movie, which some people say is the greatest thing that's ever been created, while other ones people say this is a terrible travesty that should, they don't understand why people like it. You got that either you love or you hate it, and it's just, maybe it's because some people saw one version, they didn't see the other, and it's just because some people wonder, with all the, they hear all these stories about what happened during the shoot of this film, because there are so many, like you had the cast fighting with the director, the writer's constantly being fired, and being then another one picking up, and then he gets fired, so they don't know what's going on. Even the lead actor and the director can't agree with what the end of this is. They don't they don't agree with the conclusion of it. So a lot of people are just kind of confused by what's about. First, we should tell you what Blade Runner is about. Um, you want to go for it? I'll, I'll try it out. Okay. Uh, well, Blade Runner, outside of the fact that it adapted from a novel from Philip K. Dick. It's about there's this police task called Blade Runners. Their job is to make sure that these androids that were created to service man don't come back to Earth. That they stay on a colony outside of Earth and service people there because they're noticing that the replicants are becoming more human and both their emotions and ability to adapt so to, to multiply the threat they've kind of restricted them from coming to earth now the story takes place where five replicants are discovered to be on earth and in order to solve this problem they re-enlist one of the best late which is played by Harrison Ford, the character Rick Decker. So, 
Rick, of course, is in realistic basic ramble. You know, where he reluctantly goes to find these five replicants. So the story was focused around Rick finding these five individuals, and on the converse side, the leader of the replicants trying to solve a problem that is pretty much eating away at him and his four followers. Did I did I miss anything? Uh, Really going into detail? No, you no, you did it perfectly. You didn't spoil anything, and we'll get into the spoilers in a bit because some of you may actually want to watch this movie, so we'll do the spoiler warning in a bit. But first off, for those of you who are kind of confused by the whole thing of why is he reluctant to go back? Pretty much what a Blade Runner's job is: essentially, they're hired assassins. Their job is to kill these things that look like they're human, and it's not an execution. They call it a retirement, and. After a while, when you see someone who's running away, he looks like a normal human being. Imagine if you just hate to walk down the street, find a person, and then shoot them. That's it. After a while, that would kind of eat at you, and that's kind of the problem that Rick Deckard has. That he's had so much of this, seen so much of the shit of just having to kill these things, which, essentially, they just want to live longer. That's the whole thing, because the, the, the Nexus 6 models, they only have a four-year lifespan, and a lot of them just want to live. They don't want to just be four years, that's it. It's kind of a raw deal. I mean, imagine that you only have four years to exist, to be a servant, to lesser being, and then that's it. That's all you get. You, that's that's a shitty existence. You want more. And that's kind of what Roy Batty's looking for. There's little spoilers. He wants to extend that lifespan. He wants to live beyond this because he is a combat model. His followers, one is, what was, was Zora? Zora. Leon and Pris. Yeah. And then the one that died in the beginning, we never know his name. Oh, wow. Did I miss one that died in the beginning? Uh, no, in the beginning, it's uh, when um, Deckard is brought in by Edward James Olmos. We're going to call him Edward James Olmos, even though his character's name is Gath. Because he's Edward James Olmos. See, you know, he's... Yeah, Battlestar yeah. Hope. Exactly, he's <laughs> Battlestar Hope. But he's brought to his old boss, played by M. Emmett Walsh, uh... This guy, Brian, who explains that there's five of them who came down. One landed in front of the Tyrell Corporation and electrocuted himself. That's actually in one of the other editions, so that might be why you're like, I don't remember. Yeah, that's that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sometimes characters appear and disappear. It's weird. Um, but it's, you know, these each one has their own little speciality. Like, uh, Leon was a, a munitions expert, so he knows how to blow shit up, and he's a little more dumb to... Just be straight up, and he's the first one we find out is a replicant in uh, the void. The what was the the void comp test? And uh, yes, what do you think yes. about that scene, the opening? Oh man, I kind of remembered that scene the first time I watched it. I watched it recently, um, just for context of what I'm talking about. It kind of took me by surprise, and it also was a little misleading because the way the starts, it's not the way the movie continues. It's a very, and I'm guessing deliberately, like, slow-paced movie, but the first few minutes kind of hit you with jokes, and obviously we're in spoiler territory now, because it's impossible to talk about. I think Statue of Limitations has expired on this. Yeah, it's 30 years old. Oh god, it is 30 years old. This is the tagging piece of people who have seen it, or if you just recently watched it. Now, that said. Him shooting that Blade Runner that was interviewing him, that's 
my surprise, even the second time watching it, because I, I was going somewhere, but I was expecting to have that instantly. You know, I think it I think that was really well done. One of the better scenes in the movie to me, because you really get a feel for Leon's character, and the fact that he is and the fact he's a Republican. So you're looking for what tells what sign triggered that response that Yeah, but that gun he used, like Rick used it, he went flying back and then Leon just holds it, bam bam, no recall, no nothing, just stand straight. That that cut the next the next six model or was Leon especially equipped to have super strength? Um according to the infamous Wikipedia, he is a Nexus 6, and his deal is that he is uh, a physical level, he has super strength. According to Final Cut, he can lift a uh, 180 kilogram nuclear head loader, and he's a frontline soldier, but he's a mental level of C, so he's not a problem solver. He's, like I said, he shot, like you said, he shot Holden just like, because he confused him. And I like that when, as he's asking the questions, like, why don't you help him, Leon? Why don't you help him? And you just hear kind of this, the voice kind of becomes almost like it's in his head almost. It's just almost like eerily like it's, I thought it was like resetting him almost. Like it's a, a code phrase to like kind of reset him. Oh, what do you mean why? why oh, it's what the sword is. Okay, gotcha. Like, let me tell you about my mother. <laughs> yeah, he just flies back. And then he just stands there. And then he goes into all the craziness with Rick and with... Yeah, I mean, but the other uh, replicants, I mean, you had Zora, who, she was just tragic. I mean, she wasn't really doing anything. She was just, she was just a stripper bot. I mean, true. She did try to strangle Deckard in the dressing room, but for the most part, she was just trying to exist. It was more Leon and Roy and Pris who were causing all the problems and insanity that was occurring. This story was told from the point of view of the attack. Big Deckard. Huh? Big guy. And I'm like, minority, I'm like, so, if you flip this movie, it is, it completely changes the, the feel and tone. Because, looking at it, it's not, there's no clear bad guy. So, Roy Batty can flip the premise of this. It's about five exiled replicants that return to Earth to find their makers so that they can prolong their lives after having served man for, I presumably, four years. They come back, last Five is to find their maker. Standing in their way is a, okay. So systematically, this one guy is killing all of Roy's friends, and so right now, that town is being added up on uh, Rick Decker's account. Roy Batty loses, loses, uh, who just pretty much trying to yourself. Look how she dies, like. One of the simplest but most tragic death scenes in the whole film. You know, she runs through four plates of glass trying to get away from him and gets blasted in the back twice. That doesn't sound like something a hero does. Then, Leon, upset that his friend gets killed, is trying to, and, that, and that's all he knows, he's programmed to, you know, break things. He gets shot in the head by another replicant. Then you have... Spoiler territory, I feel bad, but we're going to spoil the movie, and hopefully you're listening to us. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, so 
I keep saying that because I do feel bad. Then you have Chris, who's like a, a an Ed from Cowboy Bebop, just this childlike, you know, robot that's dumbly um, like following a boy baddie, and obviously they're loving each other. She gets murdered while trying to protect Roy Batty's mission. Then Roy, really the only person he killed in this entire film was his creator because the creator proved to be a douchebag. No, he was a douchebag because it was like if you come up, it's like a child going to, you know, like you said, it's like a child who's seeing all the brothers and sisters getting killed left and right and he goes to his, his dad and his dad's like, um, I can't help you. Just be happy for the time you had. And his entire time is running away from being killed. His father responds, don't worry, kill him. And it's true, the fact that this whole thing would enrage Roy Batty to make him want to have revenge on his father. And the whole thing is that Roy is justified in his retribution against Decker and against everybody because Decker's going around killing his friends, killing his family. And the thing is that after... Zora gets killed, Roy ends up having this huge stalker-esque moment against Decker, hurting him, and then at the last minute, when he has the opportunity to save him, he actually rises above the human and saves his life. And that is completely perplexing, because he had the opportunity, but he betters himself, shows that he is better than him. The whole situation of him at the ending, I mean, he had the option to show that he was more human than the humans were, and this, uh, it, it, the whole thing is looking at humans because who is, like, that's what a lot of people say when they see us, and I agree. Who is more human? Are the humans more human, or are these creatures who can only look at humanity and almost envy what we have, see what we're missing? It's because we're almost squandering this gift that we have. And, and Roy Batty even says at the ending, is like, there's things I've seen. I've seen things. People wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten house gate. All those moments will be lost in time. because it's almost an allegory for life that it's, you know, that is life is that it's, we're, there is no immortality for us. We have this short period of time on life, but for them it's even further, it's worse. What would you do if you knew you were going to die? That pretty much what this movie's about. That what lengths would you go to preserve your life? You're right, it's that fight or flight instinct that all humans, all beings should have, and these replicants are no different than humans. They have that instinct that they want to survive, and they're trying the best they can to make it come true with the limited amount of time they do have. Really, they didn't kill anybody other than people that... They didn't really kill anybody. They didn't really kill anybody. Soldier, and there's the whole purpose in life. So he killed a Blade Runner. Yeah, no, I mean, the only other person that you could say that they killed that was collateral damage was Sebastian, and that 
you know, it's it's because he just kind of disappears. And Sebastian, he's just a guy who he's dying and helps them out. And just Tyrell is killed. You hear, well, you hear the, well, actually, what I don't even know version. One of the versions of uh, after he's Tyrell's killed, you hear that his body was discovered next to Tyrell's at the Tyrell Corporation before they go searching for him. So that's how he knows that they're at his where he was living. So we got into that part. So now let's get into the. Um, so we talked about the pro- protagonists, we'll say, instead of protagonists or antagonists, just protagonists. Um, so what about the other replicants? Rachel. Rachel. Oh gosh, Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. What a forgettable character. I. I, I the thing about and, and this is perfectly exhibited with Rachel's character. This movie is so disjointed. You get introduced to a character and before you can even become vested in them, you have about 30 minutes of other crap going on before you even are reintroduced to that that character. You see that with Roy, you see that with Rachel. Like, Rachel, you see her like in three parts of the movie and she ends up being a very significant part of the ending. And, you know, like, what is she, you know, yeah, it is sad at the whole you know, that was the first bit of emotion I saw from that movie. The whole scene where where Rick was um, sitting with her in his his whatever it was his home, and pretty much where he's a dick and he's like, oh, he, he <laughs> tells her, yeah, your memory's impaired. Then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, that was a joke. You should just go home. And it's like, dude, Rick, that's fucked up, dude. He's shattered like her world. Automatically leveling empathy level. Oh. Well, I'm sorry. I was joking. <laughs> like he read, he read, like he read her, her the contraction of her. her uh, Retina. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was reading her. People was like, realize, oh shit, I got calm down. I got, I just got relax. <laughs> I'm sorry. Shut, shut up. <laughs> um, no, yeah, but that was that was that was nice. That was the first part that I started to get um, emotionally invested because that's what I I love. More so than action and, and, you know, suspense. I like to see the depth of that, the character development. You know, if I can watch the movie, and unless I care about the character, I'll turn it off. You have to get into that. But. No, that's and, what makes a good story is when you are able to empathize with the character and you can feel with the characters. I mean, that's one of the reasons why to bring in an anime into this, why in Berserk, that ending sequence is so shocking and so hard because the fact is you see these two characters who over the course of the period you've grown to love them and understand that they care about each other and then you see that betrayal by we've already spoiled this so by Griffith it's it's heartbreaking almost that you see the fact that he forces her but to get back to this it's it's you start to get that with Rachel I think a little bit of it but not enough yeah I don't think I was thinking about like this would have made a better series, television series than a movie because the, the, the impact from the story is lost on the fact that it's rushed at a slow pace if that makes sense this movie is rushed there's a lot of content packed in and you're supposed to care about all of these characters all these characters have a sad story but you don't get enough backstory Rick to even outside of hey it's Harris Ford or hey he's supposedly supposed to be the um, he's, he's supposed to be the uh, 
the main character. I really didn't have. Why should I care about Rick? Give me one reason that this movie displays that I should care about Rick. What happens? To it doesn't. We all the, the main character is Roy, in my opinion, because Rick, Rick is just he's there. He's just reactionary, just like okay, okay, we need to do this. All right. Meanwhile, Roy is trying to do something. He's trying to to accomplish something. He has a goal. His goal doesn't work. So you think the movie would have been better served if they retold it from the point of view of Roy? I think it would have been a much better story. I mean, this is the story completely diverges from the original Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep. This is a better version, in my opinion. But I think that it would have been done better if it is from Roy and the replicant's point of view. That sounds like a really bad. Actually, wait, no, that's that's from Bubblegum Crisis. Never mind. What happened? No, I was saying Roy and the replicants. And I'm like, wait, no, that's Chris and the replicants. <laughs> oh, okay. I, explain that reference. Okay, in Bubblegum Crisis, the original OVAs, Pris's band is pr the replicants. Is it Pris from this, from from Blade Runner? Yes, that's where it came from. Pris came from this. The original oh, Pris. Oh, wow. That's from, pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of stuff, there's a lot of Blade Runner references in Bubblegum Crisis, which, like the whole ziggurat design from uh, Genom in this, and uh, Tyrell Corporation... The fact that you have some of the robots are like looking to be human. Leon, oh, that's pretty cool. Leon the cop and Leon Kowalski. Even though I like this Leon a little bit better, Brian James does a great job as a replicant. He has that kind of stony like, "I'm gonna kill you, and I'm just too dumb to do anything else." <laughs> like when he says, "Time to die." Wow, but, that's that's interesting. A little tie into anime. What do you know? <laughs> of course. Well, that's that's how we roll here. Now, what about what do you think about the side characters? Because I my favorite character in the movie is Gap. It's just because he's such an intriguing character, and there's not a lot, nothing. He is essentially the Boba Fett of the movie, in my opinion, because he looks so cool, and he speaks in city speak, which is, I think it's Spanish, French, Hungarian, German, and Japanese. So you don't understand what the hell he's saying half the time, but he just seems kind of cool. And also that whole thing with him leaving origami things everywhere. Yeah, I, I love the gap. Um, I once again, it, it's probably better they didn't have too much of him, because then he kind of lost that aura around him. But there's just not enough time. There's way too much time spent on nothing for me to really feel anything. Like, my one of my favorite side characters, and it's really because I'm a fan of this character, character was... Uh, was J.F. Sebastian. Um, if you watched the movie, you know he was one of the guys that was... He helped develop the replicants. And... Um, yeah, and the thing I liked about him, he was played by William Sanderson. He's the um, he's a character actor. You might have seen him more recently in True Blood, but he just had a very sympathetic tone for him, even though he didn't really do much in the series, which could be a set for a lot of the the secondary characters. It's just the tone that he carried throughout the movie made you really sympathize with him, even in the smallest instances. Like, I think 40 minutes into the movie is when you first are introduced to him. When Pris convinces him to take him into his home. And you see the little toy characters and, Welcome! Welcome! That sort of thing. So, I mean, just throughout it, and, you know, I really, really dug his character. Before that, the tone of the movie is so damn heavy. But, yes, yeah, as you see that, it's just kind of like, okay, I can kind of take a breath. Because... One thing that I love about, and not to be a fan of Ridley Scott, but I love what Steven Spielberg does. Even in the movies, he 
executive produces, there's always this bit of wonderment. There's this lighthearted feel at, if not well, the entire film, but through certain parts, even in the most serious films like Poltergeist um, that he was a producer on. You feel this bit of lightness in it that kind of takes you through the long boring parts. And without that, yet, in my opinion, a really solid movie. If you look at it on if you look at it on paper, it's a really solid movie. It's just the, the delivery of the movie between the pacing and just a lot of elements in the film itself that's just kind of drawn out. Or some of the um, the side characters that actually stood out. I mean, really, just besides Sebastian and uh, Gaff. I mean, you might remember Holden because Buffalo gets blown through a wall, but not really anybody. I mean, they're just kind of whatever. The, the character, I mean, you remember Bryant, the, the you know, the old, you know, the, the grisly old cop who's in every movie who's, he's got the chip, the chief off his ass, you know? <laughs> he was there, but there's no one really to stand out in this movie. Yeah, true. I mean, but that was like a weird scene to me. I don't know how I felt about it, but it's just kind of like, Oh, I'm playing with eyeballs. Hey, I'm putting on your on your ventilated suit. <laughs> it seems like so passive. Like they they should like smack him around a little bit. But it was like I'm gonna disrobe you. That's how I'm gonna intimidate you. Take that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But weak. Oh, as you were saying, this movie is not a light film. It's a very dark film at times, and it's actually what they say is a quintessential cyberpunk movie because it is the the you're in a dystopian future almost where you have a lot of technology, but everyone is living at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, you either have the super rich who are living in their huge giant ziggurats, or you have like Decker. I mean, his apartment how big was it? It was like one hallway. That was it. <laughs> I mean, they're literally looking down. <laughs> The Czech Society. Well, I guess they would call them that. They wouldn't call themselves that. <laughs> no, they weren't. But I was surprised there wasn't a big L for, like, Luther Corp at the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zeppelin or something. Just It's a little bit like it's there looking down on everyone and just you have people just striving to survive and it just... You don't have... Uh, like we said, our protagonist isn't, he's a disgraced cop. He's a, you know, he's not like, I'm the regular, typical Joe American protagonist who everything is going right for him. No, he's down, he's gritty. And the villain... Is he even a disgraced cop? Do they make that clear? It doesn't look like he's a retired cop. I think, well, he's a retired cop, but they don't really get into why or how. I'd like to have known why. I mean, hold on, let me look at the official Blade Runner Wikipedia, not, you know, a at runnerwikipedia. Well, anyway, all right. Uh, there is nothing about how he got fired. It's just more about the part which it's like glaring. You should talk about this now, and sh should we talk about the big thing in the movie, <laughs> or wait a little longer? Yeah, I mean, might as well get it out. It's going to pepper a lot of the other stuff that we, if if there's other stuff to talk about that we mentioned. Yep, and the big thing is the end of the movie has one of two endings depending on what version you watch. It's either going to have Deckard is a replicant or Deckard is not a replicant. Harrison Ford says he's not a replicant. Ridley Scott says Harrison. everyone's a replicant. <laughs> I mean, is it the director or the actor that pretty much had a falling out with 
after until 2006. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to go with Ridley Scott. You know, you can argue both ways that he isn't a replicant. And sadly, the, the, the creator of the story died for I guess, what do you personally do you feel that he was a replicant or he wasn't? Overall, I mean, part of me thinks that because of the fact that you have some of the other Blade Runners know who he is, I think that it's almost like he's a clone, almost. Like, Deckard was a real person, but something may have happened. Maybe that's why he retired. They said he retired, but then it's actually he died in the line of duty, and they said, okay, we can take this dead cop, and we'll just make him into a new replicant. That, I think it's a, it, that's what I think it is. It's the fact is that he was dying, or he got injured, and they did, like, a brain... Uh, uh, not brain map, uh... You know, like in most movies where you take the br- the, the mind of... Like, Free Jack, sadly. <laughs> the mind of the old the old body put in a new body. You know? That, funny enough, that's actual science. I, I saw that recently. That did that with the brain of a chimpanzee. And they were able to successfully um, transplant the brain. But it only lived for about three days. Yes, so, and with science you could do that. And now... Science! With, <laughs> yes, science. Like, 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 my character in uh, Mage says, "Science will make all work." Yes, I know that's not grammatically correct, but Alistair wouldn't care. But it's the point is, I think that it's Deckard existed, and his mind got mapped into this body without him knowing it, or maybe it was to a certain point so that he doesn't remember that he's a replicant. Like you know, it's like okay, he saved up to point A, and then. His safe, and he died after it, so they said, we'll reboot him back where safe point A happened. And that's in the new body. Holy crap, what if this happened? Decker was dead. Long gone. And then, when the movie starts, they probably just reactivated him and set it up so that way he thinks he had a choice of being a Blade Runner again. That would be a great, like, a great way of, like, re... And obviously, we can talk a little bit, you know, there, there's talks of uh, another Blade Runner, whether reimagining or whatever it might be. I think if they took that point of view and, and didn't make it a mystery, this is that Billy Scott is attacking to direct it, so just made it, hey, he's a replicant. And and give a little bit of backstory. And if you read the, I tried. I I wanted to read the the novel, um, to Android. What is it called? To Android, you move electric sheep, and it's a rough novel to read. I mean, Philip K. Dick is a very he's a he's a fuck he's a he's a good writer, but he's paranoid and borderline. Well, not borderline. He's fuck he was fucking crazy for his time. He he's, he's schizophrenic. He later in his life he wrote stories about his encounter with the godlike being. And that kind of influenced a lot of his writings about his meetings and concepts and dealings with his being. And, and this is based off his facts. So, I mean, I read it, and I, don't, I really wanted to get through all 97 pages of it, but I got about to the first chapter, and I was like, okay, this is really hard to read. It's like a textbook. Um, but, the, for, to, to his credit, the first, the first few pages... Nate cares so much more about Rick Deckard than the entire movie of, of, of Blade Runner. Have you, have you read the book? Uh, 
I read the novel, and I actually have the better version, the easier way to do it, the graphic novel. Oh, that'd be nice. The part that I'm referring to, because I didn't get that far into it, so I'm not like an expert on the novel, but just his conversation with his, with his wife, I believe his wife, I think thinking about yep. the, the, um, the sheep, about the, the machine, yep. and how, you know, how they were talking about how they were going to program their day, whether or not they were going to you know, he, he had to do her work, or you know, she was going to be, you know, one active, and she's like, oh, I'm going to take this depression. I figured out how I to get depression. He's like, mom, do you want to get depression? Just that whole back and forth. I just pictured in my head seeing Harrison Ford have that back and forth with another female, okay, like, kind of like, like any other kid knows. That kind of back and forth. I cared so much more about him. Even if they put, like, anything that was him having a back about his machine, and this kind of distorted from the actual uh, plot of the story to kind of show some depth in his character. That would be amazing. So they kind of infused that with. That would have been a better opening, it. actually. That would have been a better opening and have it where she leaves him and then go into the, the, the film. That would make it better. You know, but, oh, but if, like with what she said, if it's it indeed a flashback before he died. And that his death could be a part that's not real. Oh man, they should, they should, they should pay us to write this. Yes, they should. Ridley, Ridley Scott, come send us a check. We'll do it. I heard that you actually, uh, well, from Prometheus, for one of the actors, they actually drove to his house with the script and waited till he read it. So Ridley Scott, come to one of our to our houses with with notes and paper and money. We could. <laughs> and money. <laughs> hey. Hey, the money's the most important part in this situation because we, we can make a mint off of this or we could make our own version. But because, well, anyway, I don't want to get into that. Um, since we've talked about the big spoiler about the film itself and that, <laughs> let's get into the tech. What do you think about the technology in this in this future universe? Which, um, if you watch the uh, the side cool soldier, you see more of the weapons and things. And what do you think about the used universe and all that? Oh, I think this future. This future of 2019 is going to be crazy. No, but um, a lot of the technology, obviously, just from a, a, a tech standpoint of where we are today, doesn't really hold up. There's one, there's one piece of technology though that has split. There's one scene where he is examining one of Leon's pictures. Was it Leon? Yeah, yeah, one of Leon's pictures, I believe. And he puts it into what looks like a toaster oven attached to an old um, tube, <laughs> and, and he like ex um, it's almost like what Minority Report. Granted, was written by the same person. Um, Minority Report was without all of the CGI. So it's like, what right, watch it for? <laughs> I, I think it was, I think it was supposed to be the same device too. It was 19, 19, early 1980s. Okay, I understand that. It obviously didn't have the technology, but it's just, it's hard to dismiss that fact. I mean, it's like watching Akira. I know, you know, you're me, but watching Akira now, there's a lot of things that don't hold up, even though it was amazing and revolutionary at the time. But, um, flying cars, you know, obviously, the, the, the scrapers, the... Oh, the spinners? Yeah. 
spinners, spinners, yeah. spinners. Yeah. It, it was, it's, I mean, those are cool. You know, I mean, it's like, I was thinking of logistics of it, and today, it'd be, imagine driving, you know, driving now, it's crazy. Imagine being in space, having an accident. I mean, in, in the air and having an accident. It's just, um, I don't trust how people. Yeah, no, I neither do I. You think you have to have a clearance or a certain level of, um, like a police officer or someone of importance to, to fly at a certain altitude? That would probably be the case. I mean, if you looked at um, uh, the new Total Recall, the spinners were in that, which was kind of cool. And they were a little more, um, what is it called? The way that they did it, where only the military had it. So regular people, they drove regular cars, while military had the spinners. So maybe you did it like that, you know? It would make a lot of sense, too. Maybe high people, just for safety, less congestion on the roads. Could you imagine response time, if they could just fly to your house. Why haven't they done that already? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you would think that the technology exists that have vehicles that can oh, <laughs> I'm saying vehicles that can fly in the sky, not in like a plane. No, you're talking I know what you mean. They 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 have the basics for it, like the the VTOLs do that, the vertical takeoff and landing devices. Just build that into the back of a car. Yes, it'll cost a shitload of money, but I mean what else are we blowing money on? I mean uh, we don't need another Jersey Shore. You can use that, that the billion dollars from that and put it towards this. I mean, there's other things. Uh, and I'm in Jersey Shore, the actual Jersey Shore, because they need the money right now because of all the crazy shit that's happening. But I'm talking about, you know, that, that terrible TV show with Snooki. You know, get MTV to pay for this. <laughs> I hope we can see it in our lifetime, though. I mean, it looks like, I mean, 2025 maybe, but... Uh, did you not be like 1970? Why I think we had, might have said, you know, in the future, or how computers in their pockets, to actually think it comes true. Like, I would have for some preferring, like, smartphones, which are essentially computers that are in our freaking pockets. Oh, we're, we're, we're getting there. I mean, it's, it's some of the stuff that they have is dead on. Like, they thought we'd have personal communicators. We do our cell phone, our data pads, our cell phone. Everything is going to be eventually in our cell phone. I'm expecting a stun gun in the cell phone soon, or like a freaking laser gun. If your cell phone is eventually going to be tied to your like, DNA, your DNA, it's like in order to only the person that's holding it be able to operate it to be based off of your 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 heat, you know, motion, and fingerprint, and all that fun stuff. Because if you ever lost your cell phone, you know what I'm talking about. It's like it's hard. No, I, I know. In, in, in a couple of years ago, that wasn't the case, but now it's like you lose your phone. You forget it at home all the time. You're like, oh my god, my phone's gone. What can I do? I can't look at the internet. I can't do anything. It's just crazy. It's just, oh no, it's like the end of the world. When a couple of years ago, that was not the case. It's just no, a, couple, a few years ago, I won't even say like 15 years ago, most people didn't even have this. Yeah, no. They had, they had paid phones. They had 25 they have phones. Yes, but I, you have to laugh at the fact that they said, In the far distant year of 2019, we'd be going all over the universe and have replicants. The closest thing we have to a replicant is that one creepy real doll who supposedly moves. That we know of. I wouldn't be surprised if some lab in Germany, they don't have a real woman. And hell, to say they don't have androids 
in our everyday society. How? I don't know how if we know or not. I mean, I, I mean, there's a couple of people, celebrities that I could, and news people who I could <laughs> say are, are androids. Unfortunately, the one person who I was pretty sure was a robot passed away. That was Dick Clark. So passed away. Yeah, Dick Clark died. Hmm. Oh, true, true. They were the Ryan Seacrest, 10th Oh, God. Oh, yes, and now we're going to have a century of Ryan Seacrest of, and now Ryan Seacrest rocking New Year's Eve, and then then after that, some <laughs> other monstrosity. Yeah, gradually age him, so it's like, no, oh, let's take him in. <laughs> and they, like, take him into another one. That has to be, like, job ever. Like, decommissioning actors. Hey, uh, that's why uh, Decker went crazy. It's like, I gotta retire a robot. <laughs> yeah, why did you have to make them scream? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, please don't kill me. Uh. <laughs> oh, that first death scene was kind of brutal. That was, and she's just like, she looks like a robot winding down, and he just keeps shooting and shooting, and then, but, speaking of death scenes, um, did when you the last fight between Roy and Deckard, did it seem like I was watching it at, before we recorded, and it seemed some, I noticed something else that it seemed like he was almost at first you think oh he's playing, but more it's kind of like he's actually trying to commit suicide without committing suicide. He's like, look, I want you to kill me, just do it, but you're not good enough. Or did you think he was just playing like a little kid? I think he was just having. If you think about his life, he's been spent fighting battles. And I think this is kind of like his last battle against himself. And he wanted he wanted to yeah, you're right, he wanted to die. But he also he wanted to live. That sounds a little bit pretentious. No, it isn't. It's what all of us want to do. Some of us, you know, you have a guy who's going to commit suicide, and he stops himself because we have that urge. Humans have that urge that you want to self-preserve yourself. Even if you are depressed and you think you're going to do something, which I'm telling our listeners not to do, when you feel like that, your brain kind of has like that fight or flight, like saying, this is not right, this is not right, and maybe he had evolved to the point where he was human in everything but body. His mind, his soul was human, saying, "You don't want to die." You, you know, he's fighting with himself. What is? But here's a, a deeper question: What does it mean to be human? That is the question of this movie, and that's the question which it's been wondered for ages. What does it mean? And like that is, you know, what makes a human? I mean, if a guy gets is an amputee, is he less of a human than a guy who's has everything going for him? I mean. What? I mean, at, at a certain point, do these androids become human? There is a point in time where, where you know, a lot of people weren't considered human. It be like in our lifetime. And yeah, both of us have you know yeah, both of us have had our our families had problems where they weren't considered human because of this and that. To some others, it's almost, it's almost like a direct parallel to the replicants, not with, with the exception that they weren't created. Well, then again, 
what are, what are humans playing? What role do you play when you create artificial life? You're playing the role of God. You're creating images out of your likeness. And when you do that, you go you step over the line. And you no longer become human, you become gods. And what happens when your creation advances? Pretty much, the, the you know, it's either God could be like, I'll give you all your answers and you become a God, or I could keep my position and I'll just kind of let you wonder, and that's the whole wonder of life. Because it's also about life and about death. It's about, because what does it mean to die? What does it mean to really live? I mean, that's what all this is about. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I like the failsafe of the four years, but to me, it's what Jurassic Park. Why the hell would you create a, a park with dinosaurs? That's only going to end one way. And the same thing, why would you create a being that is as smart, if not as smart than you, and it's as strong, if it's not stronger than you? What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> They're going to not wants to willingly be a slave. That's it. It's you know, it's the the people who are the bottom line, the people who don't aren't human, who just think of themselves are the ones because they don't think of you know, think oh we're at the top and everyone else is for our own benefit. And what happens at the point when your device comes somewhere? I mean, everything you could think of is a slave to you. I mean, but at what point does it become no longer a slave? It becomes own being. You know, like this computer. Curse. You know what's funny? We're talking about slave as if it's past tense, but in reality, we're all slaves. Oh yeah, we're slaves to. I mean, we're we're indoctrinated at a very young age by public school system, public or private school systems, to grow up and know our role in the society. And those very few that break the mold are the ones that become a higher level of slave. Because even the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates, they're slaves. They're slaves to servicing humanity. So you can never fully escape it, just figuring out different levels of servitude. Yeah, I mean, but there is no way to, I mean, there is no, you know, everything is now just, we're slaves, everything. There is no more of the time, years ago, when you could just own a patch or be on a patch of land, you live there, that was your stuff, and you are free. Freedom no longer exists. And we're now getting in a very philosophical and slightly down level, and some of our demographic who are under the age of 18 are probably like, why are they talking about all this political stuff? Why are they talking philosophically? We don't understand. Well, when you reach our age, kids, you'll get into these philosophical points because that clock is a ticking. Because when you're young, you don't realize. It's like Roy Batty realized. He was at four years. We're we're at that four-year mark. We're at the part when, if you watch um, Logan's run, the jewel on our hand is red. We're at that point where we're starting to realize, hey, things are, you know, as eight, the two sure things in life. And taxes, I'm not going to say, is it is going to be life and death, birth and death. Those are the two things that are going to happen. You're going to be born and you're going to die. And unfortunately, the minute we are born is when we start dying. How long we have, that is up to you could fate, God, 
circumstances. And the main thing in this movie, I think, is just to live the best of it. I think that's what, what this movie's going for, and that's the thing that Will was trying to say. Okay, I think that was a little bit too too deep. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the truth. I mean, we either, either swallowing the red pill or you're swallowing the blue pill. You know what I mean? It's like, stay dumb, or you can be enlightened. And the moment you become enlightened, it's really destiny. So, that's the way I feel. Any little bit of that you can give to your audience, I think that's that's a good thing. Yep, no, and you guys who are listening, you guys I have the utmost faith in, except for you, Kenny. You just, the fact that you enjoy Iken and you want me to review another porno, there's problems with you, Kenny. A lot of problems. But still listen to the podcast, because I do enjoy your lovely emails, which are almost borderline on really creepy. Yeah, uh, I'll cut this part out, but Kenny, he, he sent some really, not that part, but uh, Kenny said some really fucked up things. Like, we, episode 69, we reviewed Zack and Mary make a porno. He was like, oh, we, oh, you guys gotta do something like the new Star Wars porno. I'm like, I'm like, what? He sends me emails of it, and there's also a Scooby-Doo porno, and I'm like, dude, it's a porn. Zack and Mary was a satire about that. Like, I don't care, you should do that, because it's, pre- this is what I think he sounds like. I think you should just watch this and it'll be all pretty and wonderful and you could tell me all the, the beautiful details on how their breasts look. Like, okay, you're creeping me out. Dude, you're creeping me out and I hang out with some people who creeped out the guy who made Yuritsu the Doji. So, there and they got a signature and they creeped him out and his wife was there too, which is really weird. It's like, Grandma selling you porn. Um, but again, this is not the manga podcast because that's for another episode. Back to the podcast at hand. <laughs> yes, Blade Runner. So, the last thing we really haven't talked about is the visuals and the music itself. The visuals on the Blu-ray, it is amazing. The movie is beautiful. It holds up visually. Um, I mean, the tech is crap, but it's it's still awe-inspiring. What do you think? I'm, yeah, I, I visually, the movie, my fault is the aesthetics. It's the actual the actual pacing structure of the film, which I don't think is any fault of, of the original creator of the, sh- of the short story. But, um, yeah, outside of everything else, a lot of this does hold up. The sensible tech obviously does it because if they did, they'd be freaking amazing. Um, I, I think the movie is right, um, especially with all the visuals and how they kind of, you know, stands Tron and Tron played actors. Um, I think a remake is even more so than a recall because I think Ridley Scott's given this was like this technically his second movie, but I read things where this was like his first movie. Um, and Alien I think came out before this one, but I read in articles where he said this was like his, I guess he was referring to it in the sense that um, he was really at the helm of this, at this team. I don't know. You tell me. This was more of his, um, I want to say, um, Ridley Scott directed. It's 80 or 81. Oh, uh, what? Uh, what I think might have happened was Ridley Scott probably didn't have as much creative control in 
Alien because it was his like first breakout film. Um, I think after that it was kind of like, whoa, here's a blank check, make this movie, where he really got to sit down and and because he barely got a producer's credit on on paper. Yeah, no, he got he barely got because he had so many other pieces to it. To yeah. To Blade Runner, there were so many pieces to it. And this is the first, this is his, it's technically, they say, he says it's his favorite film according to Wikipedia. It says it's his, the first film he worked on in his opinion. That's what he said. That's where you got the quote from. But, and he's so obsessed with this movie that he's trying to make it better and better and better. That's why I think there's so many versions of it. You know, that's why he became known as the father of the director's cut because he's trying to perfect this story that. Uh, honestly, I agree with you that they should just remake this. I mean, just have him go to the helm, just get a new cast. Because, um, honestly, the actors were not bad in this movie, but Harrison Ford, I love him. I loved him in American Graffiti. I loved him in Star Wars, Indiana Jones. I liked him in Cowboys and Aliens as the president in Air Force One. But this movie, he's not, besides the fact he's not a likable character, he's kind of just there. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you, and I, and I think I think that it could work if you change change the, the story. Like if, like we were discussing earlier, if you make it a story, get a very charismatic young actor to play Roy Batty, and make this movie Blade Runner's Blade Runner. Just make it from focus on him. Give some backstory on Roy Batty. Show what he's done. You know what I mean? Show them coming from Mars, presumably, to Earth. And imagine the ending. If you got all of that exposition told through you know, actual story, imagine his death at the end. With all that being said, because they, they seem very charismatic to me. You know, Chris seemed charismatic. You get enough with Zora um, to find out if she's charismatic. But um, Leon is the is your typical, you know, you know that type of. I'm trying to think of the, the Steinbeck novel was it uh, of my men? He's Len. He's yeah. He's Lenny. Yeah. It's 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 those characters. are Rich and get a good writer on there. Get like a a Joss Whedon, you know, some people really handle um, dialogue. Oh, oh, you do that. It would be so much better. And also, um, if you want, add the Decker part so you have the parallels and do it where you actually sympathize with them. Open it up with that memory of him and his wife arguing over. I'm going to be depressed today. Why do you want to be depressed? It's something to do. And then, you know, give him that more of the mystery. Don't be like, oh, you know, he's just a guy who's like, meh. You know, he just seemed like he was there. I mean, one thing is, um, did the director's cut have the voiceover? No, it did not. Yeah. The version I watched did not have the voiceover. Neither did I, because the original version had a voiceover, so it was more like a film noir. I hate to use that term, but it was like, you know, where he's talking like a detective movie. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the pacing kind of, you know, that the dead spaces. You had hit, you had a voiceover, and oh, okay. you know, if you got that rid of that a little bit. yeah, if you didn't have that, if you actually had more, 
you know, action of him actually doing what he was talking about, which you didn't even see, get rid of the, the dead spaces. This movie, well, a remake of this would be perfect, as opposed to, let's just take the movie and re-edit it for a 15 billionth time. Because that was my biggest complaint about it, was there was no... There wasn't enough. There wasn't enough character development. But if you told it from that point of view, if you told from two different, just take away the fact that you have a good guy and a bad guy. You have voice camp. You have Decker's story, and it's just these two conjoining stories coming together for one story, where it ends up where the two main characters, um, Rick Decker and Roy Batty. Are at the end of the movie. Oh, I think if done right, it could probably be my favorite film. Again, Ridley Scott, send us money and send us, <laughs> and and we'll make this happen. Or actually, you know what? As you said, make this into a mini series, but make it. I say live action, but part of me say make it into an anime, make it into an anime. But I don't know if that would who could do that, who could pull that off. I mean. Would you get the guys who worked on Samurai... And actually, no, Samurai 7 after Episode 3 I gave up on. That terrible animation. <laughs> I think I think if you had... Um, if you had the team behind Ghost in the Shell's Dental Complex, it could work. I agree. Or uh, what about uh, Takeshi Koike, the, who worked on uh, Redline? See, I haven't seen Redline yet. It's like on my to-do list. We actually reviewed that movie twice. Ooh, that's um no, but I, I it's not coming over here, but uh, the the sound I mean, but um, uh, what about um, you just Studio Four C? What was the last thing that they made? Actually, I have no idea. I know um, <laughs> I know that Madhouse. Um, I mean, I just don't want them to do it like the new Berserk movie. I like Berserk, but I just don't like that. Some of the scenes are fluid and awesome. Then the scenes that are CG look like it looks like game cut scenes. So it's like. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I as much as I would love to see it be an anime, I I think that the technology exists that it can, and it, ha- it would have more eyes too if you made it a live action film. Film or TV, yeah, or TV. And just we did nothing writing it. No, I mean, I I even think I even think like going that route with um, telling the story of Roy, Batty, and and Rick, I think it could be better in two-bar format. And I haven't seen Total Recall, but from what I heard is that they took out all of the fun of the original one, which kind of resembles what Blade Runner is right now, given that they went more closely to them, to, to Phillips Dick's, uh, I guess, Dick. <laughs> uh, what P.H. P.H. Dick's, yeah, his, his vision, and it's, it's a decent movie. It's not bad, uh, uh, some of the things were forced, like the chick with the three tits, but it's... Well, we'll save that for the Total Recall review when we get to that. Um, but I agree it should be remade into a new version. Um, so, we just... Well, usually we would get into a review rating for this film. All right, we have a five-point rating system of really, really, really fucking cool to our lowest rating, which is you know, we're just going to use the numbers today. One through five. Um, this movie, everyone would be like, oh, it's a five, or oh, it's a one. I'm going to give this a solid three, 
because it's a good movie, but it's not a great movie. Because it depends on what version you want. Also, it's not a movie you can watch dry. You have to be like, you can't do this like watching, you have to pay attention to this movie, in my opinion. Um, Sean, what do you think? What would you give us out of 1 to 5? What would you rate this? Oh my goodness. If I had to give Blade Runner a score from 1 to 5, can you do points? Yeah, you can do, you could do, you can do points. I would give this movie a 2.5. And only because if I gave it a three, it would be only due to the hype surrounding the movie. I think that this movie has the potential to be a five, but for the mere fact that it takes almost one hour into the movie before I become emotionally invested, this is not a this is not a series. This isn't a series where you can say, well, after the fourth episode, it gets good. You have only a few minutes to capture somebody's attention in a movie before you lose them forever. And if honestly, if I didn't have to watch this movie, I would have probably stopped watching 30 minutes into it. So on that fact alone, you know, I can say the movie got a lot better towards the end, but I have to give it some some strong love right there. With that being said, I have hope that this movie is going to be redone the right way, and I'm going to be able to give it the score it really deserves, and that's a solid five. And, um, well, we'll see where it goes. I mean, hopefully it does get to that point. And uh, sorry for torturing you if you, uh, Vicky, watch this again. No, 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 no. I mean, it was, I wanted to rewatch it with a fresh pair of eyes just to make sure that the first time I watched it, it wasn't like, I mean, the first time I watched it, it, I just wasn't tired or anything, but I was really critical of the movie as I was watching it, and I didn't let it slide on anything, and that's why I gave it the score I gave it. Honestly, there are very few movies that get above a 4 for me, so 2.5 is really a good score, considering this movie had so many flaws. Yeah, no, I... I went with the even three, just, it's, uh, well, for those of you guys who do know, I generally am a four person, I, I, it's become my catch-all, and there are movies which get ones and twos, this movie is decent, it's worth watching once in your life, the, but the question is which version to watch, well, that's kind of up to you, I mean, if you want to see Record as a, as a replicate, you go to, uh, oh, we didn't even get to that part. Actually, you know what? We're not even going to rant about that. I'm not going to talk about the dream at the end. We're not going to even get to that. We didn't even talk about that. Oh, you mean the the unicorn dream? Unicorn dream? Yeah, that it's there are too many. It's too much. There are too many rants. Like, is he? Isn't he? What does it mean? Did he know? We're not even gonna. That's just. I mean, it could have been he just actually had talked to Gap at one point off screen. That's what I'm going to leave it at. <laughs> That's why he did that. That's my uh, opinion on that. But overall, check out Blade Runner. It's decent. It's not bad. Um, it's not the best movie ever. It's a long movie. I mean, if you didn't like watching Lord of the Rings, which I love and I watch every year, but if you didn't like watching Lord of the Rings, this is a tough movie. It's a hundred and from 116 minutes to 159 minutes, depending on the version. So, Blade Runner is a movie you have. 
have to watch. You just have to watch. Get in your memory banks. Get it out of the way. Um, invest two hours, two plus hours to watching this movie just so you can join in a conversation like like this, along with like Citizen Kane, Reservoir Dogs, The Godfather. Those are movies you just have to watch, whether or not you want to watch them or not. Very true. And don't do the like one friend of mine and just do the cliff notes of just okay, I'm going to watch the movie in in six times speed so I don't have to hear any of the bullshit. <laughs> he was reading the subtitles through the whole thing and I'm like, dude, how the hell can you watch it? He's like, I don't want to spend two hours doing this. Mm. No, don't watch it, period. <laughs> uh, he's, he, he, but he, he's crazy. He's trying to watch every single uh, sci-fi movie that's recommended on the top 100 list. And this is number one. I don't... Well, this is in the top... I'll give this as for sci-fi. This is in the top ten. I don't put this in top one. Number one. Which number one? Hmm. I want to go with Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> okay. okay. What about you? What would you put at your number one for sci-fi? For sci-fi, I'd probably go with Empire Strikes Back. That's a safe. That's a safe film to go number one with. And then, um, yeah, number one. Star Trek 2009, maybe. See, I have to rewatch that. I I remember watching that movie and being like, "This is the best movie I've seen." In five years, but I've never been compelled to watch it again. So I don't know how true that that statement is. I watched it again and it holds up. But the only thing that bugs me is the fact that it's, it's. I understand it's a brand new ship, and that's the only reason why. Because the rest, I w- I'd rather have a used universe like this. That's one thing I like is used universes. I like universes where it looks like it's not just you know the brand new ship. It's been in service for ten years yet it looks like. Uh, someone's been scrubbing it every single day for six months. That's kind of what gave Star Wars its charm, what gave Event Horizon its charm, gave this its charm. It's the fact that it looks lived in. It looks like, you know, this is stuff that people use. But then again, if it's, if the space, if it's in space, how dirty can it get? That's true. That is true. That is true. So, what? But, well... That's, again, for another podcast. <laughs> um, so, since it's been about an hour and it's been the fans who are listening probably have forgotten, where can they hear more from you, Sean? Where? Oh, uh, well, yes. If you want to hear more from myself or just our network in general, you can subscribe to the A3K Network on iTunes or go to Anime3000.com. We release three to four podcasts every single week week we have it's not just me um we have several producers on our network we have um the other side um which is more of our controversial podcast we have two guys in a mic which is more of our mainstream if you really into dubbed anime uh, we have the bonus round which we have a lot of other podcasters outside of our network joining us produced by jp um from fightbait.com and my show every Friday A3K Radio we try to interview a lot of people in the industry podcasters you know just people and a lot of other cool things and a whole lot of other shows I won't take up too much time on your podcast just go to anime3000.com check it out follow us on all of our social networks anime3000 and and yeah that's it And and all the information will be in the show notes and I'll put a link to the newer episodes for this in this ep- for in this episode and um, with and remember you can check us out at www.spirekid.com email me at zanspirekid.com or I'm on Facebook Twitter 
Xbox Live. All of this is in the show notes. Uh, remember, check out our Amazon.com forward slash shops forward slash Spirekin to buy any of the, the movies or books we've actually reviewed. I'm trying to sell it. All the money goes back into the podcast so I can actually get better equipment because this Frankenstein-looking setup is fine for now, but I really have to fix it eventually because I need new speakers, a secondary mic because the, the other mic we have is starting to die on us, so send, contribute somehow. Or just send us emails, rants, etc. So I guess that part we've been waiting for. And um, so I'm going to roll the Dodecahedron movies and we'll never, never land on us reviewing in the next episode. So And Sean has graciously mixed it up for me. So he'll tell me what number it rolls on. When I tell him the number, he's going to tell me what movie we're reviewing in the next episode. So, all right. And number seven. You are going to be reviewing RoboCop. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yes, yes, fans, RoboCop. A movie which they're remaking. That's right. Time, very time. We can actually get um, screenshots of the movie right now. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I just got to figure out who's going to be on that episode. Uh, I think, actually, I promised JP that he would be on that episode if I ever did it. So I better call him. <laughs> I will... will. We'll get that to the future. We'll see where that is. So, with that in mind, uh, so Sean, what was your favorite scene and quote from this movie? Okay, my favorite scene from the movie was... I'm going to have to say I enjoyed the end. I thought it built up... I thought, for all I said about the movie, I thought that the ending was well done. Uh, you mean the ending as in... Between, um, Rick... No, not the end ending, but the between Rick... The fight between... Uh, quote-unquote fight between Rick and Roy. I liked how that played out. I liked the tension that was building. And I liked how it ended with Roy kind of saving Rick's life. I thought that was, um... Something that you don't see in a lot of movies. And, um... Hmm. Then my favorite line from the movie... Was um nothing is worse than having an itch you can never scratch. Wake up, time to die. That's that's classic eighties, eighties um, one liner. Oh yeah, no, that is, and it, it comes back into play later too. At the end, um, for me. Um, I'm your host, Zan, Spark and Movie Review, and my favorite scene from Blade Runner, I'm going to go with the scene, the scene where you see that, the one scene where you see Pris actually acting like a human being, which is when she's actually dealing with Sebastian, and she's sympathizing with the fact that he has that disease, uh, what was the name of it, uh... He has a disease where he's growing old, and he, he sympathizes, and she kind of is comforting him. It shows that there's more to them than just them being assassins going to kill people. They are actually, they're people. They just have problems, a lot of problems. And um, which, is, which, by definition, is the main characteristic of people. Exactly. They're 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 not just automatons. They're not just R two D two. They're not. Um. Uh, what the hell is the robot from iRobot? Uh, Sunny. Uh, oh, Sun. Sun, yeah, Sunny from iRobot. These are 
three-dimensional characters that they have their feelings and their... I mean, there's so many other scenes, like the scene after Zora dies, when you see Leon looking at her, and he has that look of almost shock and just pure sadness. But I'd say it's it's just a scene with Pris and Sebastian, when he takes her in, and she's just so nice to him, and she just... I mean, Roy used him, but it's that scene. Um, my favorite quote, I'm going to say is that the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long and you have burned so very very brightly Roy look at you you're the prodigal son you're quite a prize I've done questionable things also extraordinary things Revel in your time. Nothing the god of biomechanics wouldn't let you in heaven. And depending on the uh, version, it's either uh, fucker or father, depending on the version. Oh, and uh, before I forget, last note. Um, did you know that there's a version where Tyrell's actually, that's a replicant? Well, that version of Tyrell's a replicant? Yep, and he's in cold storage. Jesus Christ. Everybody's a replicant. Everybody is. The whole human race is gone, and everyone's a replicant. Replicants are re remanufacturing replicants. Oh, that's like Screamers, that type of ending, where there's the Screamers are making Screamers to kill Screamers. Just, they don't care anymore. I guess that's a reoccurring theme in all of his, all of his stories. Philip, H. Dix. I agree with you that the whole issue of identity and humanity is a big part of Philip K. Dick's work, but we can talk about that another time. Either way, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Spark and Movie Review. You can check us out at the website, and I hope you have a good day. Thanks again, Sean, and see you guys later. Bye.
need your deck. This is a bad one. The worst yet. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants. Three male, three female. They slaughtered 20... A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants. Manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. What's this? Roy Batty. Probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman. The Terrell Corporation. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell. I don't get it, Tyrell. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. I was looking for six replicants in a city of 106 million people. You ever see this girl, huh? Never seen Buzzlove. What I didn't know was they were looking for me. Questions. I just do eyes. Just genetic design. Just eyes. Hello? I'm in a bar here now, down in the fourth sector. Why don't you come on down here and have a drink? That's not my kind of place. Time to die. If I didn't care more than words can say, if I didn't care, would I feel this way? Excuse me, Miss Salome, can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> you for real. He's a damn one-man slaughterhouse. I'm going home. No, yeah. no, say it, say it. I'll, I'll put yeah, it a I mean, singer. It's just like if you, all these movies, like not all these movies, I keep saying that, but like Minority Report. These are all stories from Philip, from Philip's, um, from Ph. Dick. You have Minority Report, Total Recall. Um, well, didn't he do Screamers? Or no, am I wrong? No, he did Screamers. He Screamers. Um, uh, uh, what is that? A Scanner Darkly. Um, yes. He did Adjustment. All of these movies have that rear, that feel of reality, not being reality, but actually being this different 
reality. <laughs> that, and and that's and elements of that is taken into a lot of the more, more popular science fiction and movies that have come out in the last 20 years. Well, he's the one who originated that, and that's just become a point of sci-fi. Part of it is that what makes a human a human? What makes, you know, what is reality? Um, just the question is, are they done well or not? I mean, I think a lot of them have been done really well. Like, one of my favorite adaptions to his works is Scanner Darkly. It's a tough film, which a lot of people don't, you know, like I said, this is an uncomfortable movie to watch, but it's a decent film. Did you see it yet? Or... No, I, I haven't seen it. The only thing I remember about the film when it came out was that they were there was an animated look like an animated live action film. I'm like the all the characters look like they were painted. Yeah, the whole movie's rotoscoped, so they just they use CG to draw over this film. Um, if you want to see a, a a reference to the film, there's only one scene you watch, and I'm actually gonna in the chat right now. I'm gonna actually put the scene. It's uh. Okay, I don't need that background. Um, because the thing is that it's the best way in the movies to cast uh people is to cast real people. Like, if you want to cast an alcoholic, you cast an alcoholic. If you want to cast a drug addict, you cast a drug addict. Generally, in those cases, you know who you cast Robert Downey Jr. You need an alcoholic for Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> That's funny. It's true, though. All right, Tony, uh, Tony Stark. Yeah, there you go. And and in this movie, he plays a paranoid, who's it's hysterical. Like there's a, and the thing is, all right, I'll put the I'll, I'm putting it in chat right now. You should. I clicked on it. Yep. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shore of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near ten thousand feet. Time, like tears. 